Welcome to this week's episode of After the Book Ends with Heather Down, because life isn't finished after the book is published. Thanks for stopping by for the first ever episode of After the Book Ends, a podcast where we chat with nonfiction authors about life after their book is published. Heather Down here, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have Neil Crone in studio as the first guest for the show. Welcome, Neil. Thank you very much, Heather. It's great to be here, and uh, hopefully I, I won't destroy things so it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if you, if for our listeners, if you don't know who Neil is... I'm telling you that if you are Canadian, you actually do know who Neil is. <laughs> you just might know it yet. Um, your face and voice have been everywhere in Canadian television and radio. I believe your career began with uh, Second City. Yeah, sort of officially. Um, uh, that was my first professional full-time gig. It allowed me to leave uh, a teaching career at right. the time, back in 1987. Uh, I joined the touring company and had the great... Uh, fun of of uh, touring and rooming with Colin Mockrie. We were roommates for about uh, a year together and doing shows all across Canada. And then we were very, the two of us were lucky enough to be brought to main stage downtown Toronto. Oh, nice. We worked there together nice. for a while. And he's, he's kind of had a resurgent with uh, Who's Line. Yeah, they're going again. It just, that's wonderful. That mm -hmm. show just won't die. And it's a great show. It, it is. It, it is. Go on and on. It should. So you have been in a lot of TV shows, Wind at My Back, The Red Green Show. You've appeared in Goosebumps, Power Play, and Little Mosque on the Prairie. That's my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. Republic of Doyle, Murdoch Mysteries. I could go on and on and on. You've also been on the big screen. Yes. Yeah. 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 You, uh, I think your voice was in The NeverEnding Story. You were in Against the Ropes with Meg Ryan, mm -hmm. Hollywood Land. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite, of course, is that Amazing performance as voice of bickering neighbor number one. <laughs> 2002's <laughs> rescue right. hero. That's, right. That's on every every Canadian actor's resume has a security guard number four. Or Cop number three. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not all glamour. No, you know, it's it's a job. It's a wonderful job. But um, I like to sort of consider myself as sort of a journeyman. You know, I mean, we mm -hmm. do what we do. I think I'm good at what I do, and I work hard at it. Um, but one of the great things about being a Canadian actor as opposed to being an American actor, I think Canadian actors get a chance to do so much more and, and varied work um, because we don't really have a star system here where if I had the career that I've had in, 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 in Canada, rather, in, in the States, I, I would be a multimillionaire. There's right. no question. But I probably wouldn't be able to work as much because I would have been overexposed. In Canada, I can work well until whenever I want to stop and and it's like you just kind of do different jobs and they're maybe not the star roles but there's lots of great work out there and you can make a lovely career you know well you've been at it for quite a few years now yeah it's amazing again since about 1987 and it's been non-stop since then I've never had to have a quote-unquote day job it's been my it's my job it's my career I nice. love it um, I understand your son asked you a question about acting when he was young. Yes. My youngest guy uh, came home from school one day and said, uh, Dad, are we rich? And I said, no, no, we're not, we're not rich at all. Why, why would you ask that? He goes, well, 
one of the guys in the school said that they saw you on TV and, and so we must be rich because you're an actor. I said, no, 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 no. Daddy is a Canadian actor. That's a very big, exactly. that's the operative word right there. Well, yeah. you, you know, there are people who are actually less recognizable than Canadian actors and I would say they are Canadian smooth jazz artists. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, musicians take it in the deep. They, they I know, do. They really so, do. so my husband has a, a band called Cold Jack. Who are wonderful. Oh, thank you. He w- he'll be thrilled to hear that when yeah. he listens. So we went back to the UK where he's from to visit his family. Hadn't been there in a decade. So recently he has made it with Cold Jack onto the Billboard charts, the smooth jazz charts in the States. And it's kind of a big deal. He's yeah. pretty excited. So we had a standing joke that when we were over there, he would say to his parents, well, I can't spend too much time with you because I'll be run over with people <laughs> wanting my autograph. Completely tongue in cheek. And of course, not true. But it, it was it was the joke for the three weeks we were there. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we invited someone down. Uh, he, was, uh, he worked in radio and he kind of helped john get his music over there we hadn't met him in real life so it was a great opportunity and uh i i kind of floated in and out of the conversation i uh, contributed to a book lately called brainstorm revolution i happened to have some copies there Mm -hmm. so i thought i'd give him one so i came into the room i said hey would you like this book and his eyes started to light up and he questioned he said what are you did you write in this and he looked completely (laughs) starstruck but then when he turned and said, you have to sign this, I need your autograph, we all just hit the floor. Because the only person who was actually asked for, for an autograph while we were there was me. So that was kind of fun. So besides being an actor, you are also a very accomplished and award-winning writer. You've written for, uh, you write a, a column, right? Mm-hmm. I have a weekly column uh, that I've been, it, it staggered me when I, somebody asked me recently how long you've been doing it for. And I think I started it in 1999 as, wow. a, as kind of a one-off with a, a local paper. And then it, it grew from there and it's become, yeah, it's just this thing that I do every week now and it's become syndicated and uh, I love it. it it's, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't pay ridiculously well or anything like that, but I, the feedback that I get from readers and the, uh, the sort of loyalty and the connection I have with them is, is wonderful. You know, it's great. You can subscribe too. I get your column in my email box every yeah, week. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. What I like is um, your column is very relatable and you are very talented because you can use humor and that comedic timing and poignancy. You marry them perfectly. Oh, so thank I really much. enjoy reading that column. It's called Enter Laughing. Um, so check it out at Metroland News. Mm-hmm. You can you can find it online too, I believe. You can. So and then you uh, you wrote a book called The Farmer's Secret Midnight Dance. Yeah. And uh, beautiful illustrations, beautiful story. And my good pal Wes Terrell. Yes. Kudos to him. And then you wrote another children's book, who, which I would say asked that really deep philosophical mm-hmm. question that I myself have been asking for years, and yes. it's called Who Farted. I think, you know, yes. really, it really <laughs> drills down to the nature of humankind. <laughs> Listen, first podcast, I have to get farts in there somewhere. It's just, it's just me, right? So who farted stories and verse for big and little kids? If you have an 8 to 10-year-old and you don't have this book, where have you been? You mm-hmm. need to go down to the, the store and buy it. Or even if you're too lazy to leave your chair, you can get it on Amazon. Amazing book. I find it very Shel Silverstein-esque. Oh, that's huge praise I'm, I'm a big fan of shell silverstein no question i like the stories because they also have a moral to them a little
little line drawing, just just and kids love them. I hope so. I, I think they're, they're they're stories that were sort of drawn. A lot of them were drawn from from my youth growing up and the things the lessons that I learned the things the people that I met the characters that entered my life and then a lot of it was from watching my own children grow up and, oh, and what happened to them and stuff so excellent and then uh, you have some adult stories and we're going to actually have you read from one of those books in a moment but you uh, have a collection of your early writings for the Metroland News called Enter Laughing the Early Years mm -hmm. and today we're actually going to jump from a point at the end of semicolon a writer's cheeky journey through colorectal cancer, which surprisingly is an absolutely funny book. I hope so. I, I think it, I hope it's funny and sort of thought provoking for people. I, I tried to write it uh, in, in the most relatable way I could, so that somebody could could who was either going through it or knew somebody who was going through a struggle with cancer could read it and take hope from it, um, laugh a little bit, and just generally feel better for. At least a little while. I've actually shared this book with friends who have not been in that situation, and they just loved reading it as a book oh, good, because good. It, it's it's funny. That's good. Um, and I think funny takes away the power sometimes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, the cover. Tell us a bit about the back and front cover. <laughs> well, the front <laughs> cover is uh, of myself uh, in a in a hospital gown, um, like you do, and um, sitting at a at a typewriter. And then we thought it would be fun to do the, the, on the back cover just a, 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 the exact reverse of that picture, which is the you know me <laughs> in the hospital gown. And as we all know, hospital gowns open up. Yes, they and, do. Uh, and um, it, we photoshopped just very. Tippy top of my bum, um, uh, a very cool picture, a little little thing of toilet paper there, and it says "Wipe Out Cancer" <laughs> on the bottom of it. And that was my buddy, my buddy Rob Johnson, who did the photography. That was his idea. I think it works wonderfully. It really does. And so, full disclosure, I was involved with the cover. Um, you you actually shot the cover at your home, right? We did, yeah, in the living room. Um, and I, I think you and you ended up getting more than you bargained for sure when you did. when you went to edit those photos. So they were sent to me in a zipped file, which is great. So I was really excited to see them, but I actually didn't know. Um, so I thought the uh, the photos would become somewhat cropped by the camera lens. So as I double clicked, I had fifty pictures, full pictures of Neil's bum. <laughs> And at the exact same time that happened, as they were larger than life on my big Mac screen, uh, John walked into the room. So it was a little bit of explaining to <laughs> That's do. That's explaining to do. <laughs> but I, I considered after that moment we were friends. Yes, we were. <laughs> so if you don't mind, could you share the last little bit of your book, Semicolon? I'd be more than happy to do that. Thank you. I guess, then, it's time to close the book on this thing. It's remarkable how bittersweet I find writing this to be. You have all helped so much in the passage of this illness that I'm a little reluctant to let go. Perhaps I should end by taking a page out of my own chemo book and telling you that you have all been a huge inspiration to me and more. Let me leave you by blowing all of you a kiss as well and wishing you everlasting health. Yours in the greatest of love and affection, Neil. I love that. I love that. It's it was it was a email, right? It was. Uh, again, when I was going through the whole process, um, I had so many wonderful people who were reaching out and, and sending me love and wishing me well and wanting to know how I was doing, and I just didn't have the energy to uh, to answer everybody. And so I, I started to do a kind of a broadcast email, 
and um, just letting everybody know how I was doing, what I was going through. And it worked out great. People people loved to hear what was going on. And and, um, and it, it ended up being just this collection of, of, uh, of emails in the book. And it was, um, it was, I had no idea when I started it that it would make me feel so good too, to be able to talk to people and tell them what was going on. And and also again to laugh at it a little bit and then and take some of the cancer powers away by by making fun of what was going on. And mm-hmm. some of it really is funny. It's embarrassing and goofy and funny. Hey, so. Yeah, I found it I found it lovely. Again, you have the the best way of putting that poignancy and, and funny together. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're ending the book where treatment ends. And uh, I've heard you say that since since this happened, you had a bit of a, a trick colon. Yes, I, I like. To, I have a bit of a glass colon. Uh, that's the it, you know, chemo is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and yeah, I, I, it just I've got to be very careful what I eat, especially when I'm working. You know, I've been clobbered if I'm on set or whatever. I was, I was, I remember being on set on a show called uh, Oh, what was it called? It's all it had a bunch of angels in a high school, and I was okay. playing. I was playing an angel, and I, and I was strapped into this huge apparatus with wings on it and you know it took wardrobe like 20 minutes to get me into this thing and we're about to shoot and 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 somebody came by it was mid-morning and somebody came by from the from the craft department and had some snacks for people to eat and one of them was like a caesar salad i thought well that's pretty safe i'll have a little caesar salad and i guess it must have had some kind of cream or something in the in the in the dressing and about 10 minutes later i'm starting to feel rumbly and i'm starting to get sweaty and i thought oh this is not good and we're almost about to shoot my scene and I had to walk up to the to the, the the first AD, the first assistant director, and say, "John, you you got to put everything on hold. I've got to get to the washroom <laughs> to get out of this angel and suit." I was, I was about to explode, and and I had a small army of of wardrobe people running down the hallway with me, undoing buckles as I as I ran to the nearest bathroom, and just you know had this awful moment inside the stall, and you're sitting there and you're thinking the entire production is waiting for me right now. And I'm sure it was probably only five minutes, but right. it felt like, you know, hours in there. And so, oh, my goodness. So that was uh, that was one of them. The other, the other great one came on, on, I was actually going to a fundraiser to host a fundraiser uh, for, uh, I think it was for cancer awareness of some sort. I forget exactly what it was. And it was an Indian, Indian-themed night. Okay. And so they, they said, it would be really fun if you could sort of, dress in some kind of Indian garb. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, great. So we went and we got some of these cool pants and this nice long flowing robe on top of it. And I was all done up in this outfit. And and my wife and I, we were, we were, we were driving to this gig and it was quite a ways away. We lived up in the country. And again, halfway there, I get Uh-oh. clobbered by something. I have no idea what it was. I said, oh, Suzanne, you got to pull over, pull over, pull over. And the only, the only thing that was anywhere near us was a little school, a little public school. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it was, it was after school hours. It was probably around four o'clock, five o'clock. And she goes pulling in and I, I run out of the car and I don't know what the people thought, you know, because there might have been a secretary sitting in her office. And she sees this guy <laughs> dressed in this sort of East Indian garb go flying into their school and locking himself in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm sure they thought it was some kind of terrorism thing or something. And Oh, man. So, yeah, that's happened to me a number of times. And it just... If I don't laugh at it, it right. I'll go out of my mind. Right. That's that's the cross I carry these the days. The cross yeah. carry. Well, I again, yeah. You know, it's a better cross than the alternative, <laughs> Yes, right? yeah. There are, there are worse <laughs> things to happen to you. And I guess afterwards, you went through a bit of a, a restructuring in your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess it would probably have been 
around 2011, 2010. Um, my wife and I separated. Sexuality uh, changed, and uh, and that sort of spelled the end of our marriage. Um, in in a kind of a bittersweet way, and but in a way it explained a lot of things too. And uh, so we had to. That was the end of that, and uh, end of a chapter of my life. Um, but again, one door closes, another door opens, and I, shortly afterwards, I met a wonderful woman, um, Catherine, who uh, I am now engaged to. And, oh, congratulations! Uh, thank you. Yeah, and we've been together for for oh, it's almost seven years now. Wow. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, life continuously changes. It evolves. It yeah. does. It, it absolutely it does. evolves. And uh, and it, 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 you know, there were there were certainly been ups and downs and struggles and whatnot and in adapting to those changes, but life gets better. Yeah. I, I find. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what was your big, first big role after after the time when you uh, were in treatment? Well, I think the uh, the first big role probably would have been Little Mosque in the Prairie, which it, it came along at a wonderful time in my life. Um, you know, coming out of this almost a year-long treatment process, eight months plus, and uh, and and you know, eight months out of the business um, is a long time. And uh, and it's funny because I didn't I didn't think I really missed it. I remember talking to somebody, an actress friend of mine, uh, emailing me while I was going through the whole thing, and I said, you know, at this point in time, I I don't really miss it. I don't really care if I go back or not because. One of the things that cancer does to you is it really realigns your perspectives in terms of what's important and what's not. And, and so I felt fine just staying at home and getting better and enjoying my family and just enjoying very, very simple little things. But then I, I once I got I got healthy again and I realized how much joy my work brings me. Um, so when Little Moss came along, it was the perfect antidote to that because it was probably one of the most joyful experiences I've ever had on camera in terms of being such a wonderful place to go to work and a show that was full of love and the message of the show was full of love. And one of the few things, you know, as an actor, you don't always feel great about what you do. It's not always world-changing. It very seldom is it. But this show had a real heart to it, and uh, I felt very happy to be a part of that. I would agree. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that show. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And your character which is a testament to what a great actor you are <laughs> because Fred Tupper on the show was kind of the resident, yeah. I don't want to say idiot, but... Well, he was. He was dope. He was a complete <laughs> idiot. He was a, red, he was a redneck, goofy idiot, hopefully a lovable idiot Yeah. with a bit of a conscience. You know, I mean, he always ended up sort of seeing his mistakes and he had a heart after all. Um, and I think a lot of people could see themselves in him because he was a guy who shot from the hip first and then went, oh... Oh, yes. I didn't mean to hurt you by saying that, you know. <laughs> had to double double think it every yeah, time. Yeah, And you had an experience once at a restaurant where you actually were recognized as... As Fred Tupper. Fred Tupper. How'd yeah. that go down? It was great. I mean, I, we were eating at, a, at an Indian restaurant. I, I love Indian food. And we were in downtown Toronto. And uh, I noticed there was there was a, a family sitting beside us. And, and they were, they were, I'm assuming they were Muslim. Uh, and the mom was wearing a, a hijab. And uh, it was mom and dad, and there's a little girl there, and we were eating. And, I, and I, at one point in time, I noticed this little girl had come over, and she was standing beside our table. And I just turned to look at her, and she was very shy, and she was having a difficult time making eye contact. And her dad uh, put his hand on the small of her back. He said, "Go ahead, honey, ask him, ask him." And she said, "Are you, are you Fred Tupper on Little Mosque in the Prairie?" I said, "Yes, yes, I am." And she said, "Ah." Uh, 
I really love that show. Aww. And I said, you you know Fred Tupper and you still love the show? <laughs> and, and it yeah, was great because yeah. it was one of those real moments where you realize that we were actually building some bridges on the show. Right. Uh, she She loved the character who was this redneck idiot, but she got him. She understood what, what was going on. So that, I felt really great about that, that we were actually spreading a little love around. You know? Absolutely. I'm wondering, is it available anymore? Like, is it streamed anywhere that we know? You of? know, it, it may very well be. I mean, it may live for, hopefully it will live forever on things like Hulu and and, yes. and, and and places like that. Even maybe CBC Gem has it somewhere. I don't know. It's in their archives somewhere. Something to Google. Yeah. Go and it's certainly, certainly, of course, available, I'm sure, in DVD set on Amazon and things like that. I absolutely love that show. Mm. And you also became kind of like the poster child in Canada for bum cancer. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one kind of landed in my lap. Um, and I was happy to do that, to sort of help get awareness out in whatever little ways I, I could do that. Uh, always happy to do that if I can. And, and one of the things that I, lo I, I, I love to do um, is when people call me, and it happens fairly often, call me or contact me and say, hey, I've got a pal who's just been diagnosed or a friend. And they're they're frightened, and you know, can you could you call them and just talk to them a little bit? And because I I, I very uh, I have a visceral memory of the night before I went in for my first chemotherapy treatment, um, being very nervous, very frightened of the whole process. And my my brother, uh, one of my older brothers, set me up with a with a a guy who had just finished his treatment. It was going to have the same had the same chemo I was going to get, the same thing. He spent probably spent a couple of hours on the phone with me that night, just talking to me and uh, allaying my fears and, and, and really helping out enormously. So I try to pay that forward whenever I can. Because sometimes that's all you need is just somebody to say, hey, it, it's there. not a monster. You're yeah. going to be okay. You know. I, I think it's important to actually show hope versus tell people yeah. to be hopeful. Yeah, exactly. And if you see someone that's been through that oh already, yeah. they're an example that you do get through it yeah. Yeah. versus someone saying, hey, you'll get through it. Yeah, it's very, very important. And, I, and, I, and, it, and the other side of that coin is like, it's funny, I'll, I'll talk to some people and some people have been scared so thoroughly, they've already made up their mind that they're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the most distressing thing in the world for me to talk to them and they and they will not let go of the fact that they have cancer and they're going to die. Fear is powerful. Oh, my goodness. It's a powerful it's Hugely thing. powerful. And I think as humans, if we knew we had a choice. Yeah, yeah. It would yeah. make all the difference. I do. And, I, I'm, and, I'm a huge believer in the power of our minds and our thoughts to direct the health of our body. I think it's, I think it's something that needs to be addressed and investigated because it's so powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that's a big part of why I'm still here. I'm sure of it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your positive attitude. Well, thank always. you. It's always. So you also then got hired to do a commercial for Netflix that kind of took a crazy turn. It was the locker room pep talk. And I still to this day will Google it just to watch it. <laughs> I love it. Netflix got their money's worth out of you that time. Oh, Tell boy. us about it. What a great little thing. And it was one of the, it's testament to those, those, uh, the idea that you never know what's going to happen with something, you know, I, I remember auditioning for this goofy little commercial of a coach who's walking into a hockey dressing room and he's, he's trying to give a pep talk to the team and he ends up just sort of, you know, all he can think of is little snips, snippets of movies from other sports teams and famous speeches that have been given. So it ends up being a very funny little bit that way. 
Um, but it kind of got, it kind of went viral, uh, and it was running at the same time that the NHL playoffs were, were on. And one of the coaches of, of one of the teams in the, in the, in the finals, the cup finals referenced the commercial during a press scrum. Wow. And, and, and that just went crazy that the, the, within, you know, minutes, the, the Netflix people were on the phone with my agent <laughs> saying, you know, we want to get Neil, we want to send Neil to game seven of the NHL playoffs in Los Angeles. We're going to put him in character behind the bench of one of the teams. And we're going to, we'll do a little, you know, we'll have a little video shot of him there. And I did a whole bunch of interviews while I was out there. It was great. It was a whirlwind thing. It happened literally in a matter of hours. I was out the door and flown to Los Angeles and got to watch game seven of an NHL playoff. And that'll never happen again, I'm sure. Uh, and it was so much fun. Again, you never know what's going to happen. What a cool experience. Yeah, you yeah. never know. Very, very serendipitous. You just, yeah. and the power of social media too. Huge. Yeah. Huge. For sure. Yeah. Well, I love that commercial. And um, I know now I've seen you here and there on the internet advertising the Yes Men. Mm -hmm. that's, what's uh, that all about? That's a wonderful uh, little uh, bit of fun that, that I've been involved with myself and, and uh, two of my best pals, Kevin Frank and, and Pat McKenna, uh, guys that I've been improvising with for, for decades. Um, uh, we decided to sort of, Kevin and I have worked together a, a lot, but Pat and Kevin and I have not been given the chance to work together, to improvise together. Uh, we, the three of us worked on the Red Green show for a season or two, but we've always liked each other. And uh, as you get older, you know, you, you, you realize that it's, it's more about the people that you're working with than the actual job or the amount of money you're making or whatever, because it's fun. And so the three of us decided, let's, let's see if we can't keep improvising and doing live, uh, improv shows because we love doing it. We're, we're good at it and audiences seem to love it. So we created this this uh, troupe called the Yes Men, and the and the name comes from it. One of the one of the main tenets, the most important things you ever learn when you're when you're being trained as an improviser is you always say yes. You say yes to everything on stage. You never say no to an offer or an idea because that shuts everything down. And so saying yes just opens doors, and that's what improvising is all about: is just opening doors and being positive and seeing where the next thing's going to lead you. So with that, that was kind of a cool name for, for the troupe. And um, we have a very interesting look. We perform it. We wear black suits with black ties. So it's a very sharp looking show. Uh, and we've been, yeah, we've been doing live shows all over Ontario for the last two or three years. And we, we love it. And it's, it's great because there are no lines to learn. We just show up and do the show. It's completely improvised. <laughs> yeah, you don't have you know? to prepare. It's great. You know, yeah. Yeah. We're all getting older. The memories are, you know, are getting a little, bit, a little bit less sharp, you know. That's one way to take care yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so are you in theaters? Where could people find you? Or is there an online place they could follow Well, we, yes have, a, we have a website, uh, the Yes Men, uh, I think it's yesmen.com. Um, and and on there you can see we've got video of our show and, and there's, you can, you can, we can be booked from that site as well. Nice. But we have no shows coming up immediately. Uh, we're talking to somebody right now. Um, but, yeah, we just, we'll book ourselves into theaters or we'll do corporate shows. We'll do private shows because um, it's 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 a wonderful art form in that it can be completely tailor-made right. to a group if we meet with you ahead of time and you tell us a little bit about who your people are or whatever what themes you want to do we can plug those things into the show and, the, and the, again the show is completely audience driven by suggestions from them so I actually saw you a few years back um, I can't remember where it was somewhere up McTeer 
Oh yeah, probably. I think it was you and Kevin. Kevin and, and I. Um, Johnny. Oh, what's it? Johnny Harris. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Harris. John Harris. Yeah. Before um, he became really. Before big. he was. Yeah. 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 So I saw you there with. Uh, yeah, it was Kevin. It was an amazing it show, and Kevin. it was audience driven. I had the greatest time. Yeah. I was really blown away by that. Well, we love it because it, it, we laugh almost as hard as the audience because it just delights us, and it's just we never know what we're going to get. Every show is completely different. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I know that you're also um, just shot something for CBC called The Knife. Yeah, we did a, a great little. Uh, I don't know what you call them. I guess they're a digit called a digital series, and it okay. runs it, it runs on CBC's Gem Station. It really streams the show, and this is this is where television is going. I think. Yes, you know, I agree. Um, and people just watch it on their on their devices, on their TV, and whatever. And it's a, a great little show, very funny little show called The Ninth. Following this sort of recreational baseball team that is full of a bunch of broken down <laughs> losers. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I saw the first episode. Yeah. yeah. And it, it really, I mean, it really, it can't run on mainstream television because it does, it pushes the I envelope. Concur. I, I concur. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably wouldn't see that on mainstream Absolutely, TV. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I like it. It's it's a departure because when I think of Neil Cron, I think of like Thomas the Tank Engine, Diesel <laughs> yeah, 10 yeah. voice. This is not. Not this that. is not, not that. that. Yeah. If anything, I kind of got a little bit of a vibe. Um, if you've watched Netflix Shameless, there's Very the UK much. version and then there's the US version. Yeah. This is kind of like a Canadian take on that kind of quirkiness. Yeah, yeah, it is. It does. And it pushes the envelope a fair bit. Um, and it's, and it's, I think, you know, it's, when I first did it, I thought, oh boy, you know, what's the demographic for this show? But I guess it's, Maybe a younger crowd, perhaps, but it's it's also got myself in there as well. Yeah. And uh, I played I played Berg, who is the team player, manager, coach of the of the team. Um, but yeah, so I think I think there's stuff in there for people of all different ages to watch. I think you know? so. I you think know? it really did kind of span. I hope so. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I liked it. I like quirky though. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. I will fin I will continue it to watch quirky. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't have time before this interview to get through the whole series. Well, but you, I thought, you, you know what? That's, that's the beauty of, 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 of the digital thing is you can watch it whenever you like. Absolutely. You know? I think that's fantastic. And um, your partner, Catherine, has mm -hmm. a business that people might be interested in learning about. She's very environmentally conscious oh, she and is. she loves animals. Yeah, she does. She so does. tell us a bit about that. Kath has got this great uh, business called Plan B. And, it's, and she makes beeswax wraps. And what beeswax wraps are, are sort of an antidote to, uh, you know, the problem that we have in, on our planet with way too much plastic uh, is choking our rivers and our environment and the oceans. And um, there's too much, way too much plastic packaging and whatnot. And people need to have an alternative to, uh, uh, you know, in their kitchens and whatnot to sort of preserve their food, Wrap the waste food up, and yeah, whatever. Leftovers. And, and there's this perfect, wonderful thing there. It's called, it's just organic cotton or just cotton uh that and she coats it in beeswax which is one of the most natural micro antimicrobial products that we've ever been given and you can just take anything like even a, a you know half of an onion take one of her wraps wrap it around it hold it in your hands for a few seconds and the warmth of your hand contours the wax right. to no, the food it. and it mm -hmm. keeps it fresh Indefinitely, it's, a, it's it's this wonderful, cool little thing we have. And then when you're, you know, when, eventually when you're done with them after months and months of use, they compost completely, and they oh, wow. they do they do no harm to the planet whatsoever. Nice. And where could someone find these? She uh, is working. She has a she has a booth at the Collingwood uh, Farmers Market, 
Right. Uh, every Saturday, she'll be there doing her thing. Yes. It's a great place to visit, and it's in. Uh, I love Collingwood, yeah. and you've moved to my county. Yeah, we're in, we're so in Wasaga Beach now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so she's doing that and loving it, and meeting a lot of great people. Oh, and wonderful! She just had somebody ask her uh, if she could do a whole bunch of these as wedding gifts. This person's getting great married, idea. and she thought, "Oh, it's perfect." That is amazing. Yeah. It's it's so much better than like. The wine stopper. Yeah, you'll actually use this yeah. product. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And she uses locally sourced honey as well. Or oh, not nice. honey, beeswax, beeswax rather. Yeah. So Because you know, she loves animals so much, she wants to make sure that nobody is being hurt by this mm -hmm. product. So, A little bit on a more serious note, I know that this is May, and it is uh, the month of Mother's Day, and mm -hmm. this is your first time... Mother's Day and Mom's not here. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I still feel Mom is here with me, right, uh, but right. you know, physically she's gone. Right. Um, and Mom uh, checked out of her own on her own accord uh, back in September. Um, she was uh, she was she was not enjoying her life anymore. She had a very slow growing terminal cancer. Um, and she decided, I, God love her, you know, she was a little five foot two inch ball of energy, and she decided it, it was time to go. She'd done everything she wanted to do. And she wanted to have an assisted death, uh, and I was so proud of her for doing that. And so she did, and she was able to have, because she knew when she was going to go, she was able to have everybody around her that she wanted to have with her. She was able to uh, say all the goodbyes she wanted to say. And so she left nothing on the table when it was time to go. And so, you know, I, I do miss her, but I, I also feel like we we left, there was nothing left unsaid between the two of us. We had a wonderful relationship anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, when she went, it was, it was without any kind of regrets whatsoever. And I, I still feel, again, I'm, I'm very woo-woo this way, but I, I still feel that she's very much in my life. I feel her presence around me all the time. And one of the weird things was my mom loved owls. Mm. And I I can't tell you how many owls are show up in my life since my mother left the planet. I mean, I, you know, most, some people don't see an owl their entire lifetime. I have okay. seen dozens of them uh, even like in here in barry you know driving home to gravenhurst one day i remember coming around a corner at the, around the, an on-ramp out of the 400 in the middle of barry and there was a magnificent snowy owl sitting on a light standard on top of the highway so this stuff happens to me all the time wow. now you know so i know mom's around me Absolutely. checking in on me and you know? interestingly enough the last thing i bought in england before i came home was an owl wallet there you go. See? So maybe I knew I was yeah. going to be speaking yeah, with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Hey, say hi to Neil for yeah. me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big believer in that stuff. Yeah. Well, I know that there can be, um, like exits are never a good time, but if, if you're going to have one, I, I feel that that is probably the most beautiful of a bad situation that oh, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I hope that I have the, the opportunity to do that. I mean, she was just, it was just such a, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Uh, just the dignity of it and the, uh, you know, we, we, there was, there was so much love. Of course, certainly there was tears and sadness, but there was also so much, again, just love and joy in the room and just celebrating a life and the relationships that have, have, that were created from that. So I'm really glad that Canada, you know, changed the oh, laws on that. Me too. Me I, too. I honestly did not understand that someone would tell me that if uh, a pet was suffering, Right. Yeah. It was cruel yeah. to keep them alive, but a human, and you had a human being, you let them linger for yeah, for years. I, I've never understood that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, right. I'm glad they came around and, and mm -hmm. sort of saw the light with that. 
So what is the next thing on the horizon for Neil Crone? Oh, uh, I've been very fortunate to have been uh, cast in a new series. Um, uh, got a couple of series coming up. There's a, a new show called When Hope Calls. Uh, a very successful show on, on the Hallmark Channel called... Um, uh, when calls the heart. Yes, I and, have uh, seen that. Exactly, before. and I, yeah. I know about that because Catherine, my my partner, it was loved it and, and binged watched every single episode. <laughs> and so they've they've done a spinoff called When When Hope Calls, and I've been lucky enough to be been cast in that show. Uh, we start shooting up in North Bay uh, this Monday, uh, May twenty seventh oh, wow. is our first day of photography. So that'll carry me right through into August, which is wonderful. And then I start filming season two of another wonderful little show that I've been uh, fortunate enough to be a part of called Endlings. And it's a show, it's a kid's show, I guess, a family show, um, being produced by a company called Sinking Ship Entertainment, who do marvelous things for children and families. And uh, and it's a show, It's it hasn't even aired yet. Season one hasn't even aired yet because it's so heavily CGI. There's a lot of computer stuff involved in it. Um, but then that we're going to start shooting season two of that in August, and it's a it's a great show. I can't wait to see it. It's uh, I play a I play a foster parent who runs his farm, um, and he, I've got a number of children who live with me, and they all have you know certain things that are that are they have to deal with it, to struggle with emotional issues or family issues or whatever, and and I have my own issues of course as well. And then that that part of the show is is married with we have that, but we also marry it with this very bizarre wonderful sort of sci-fi side of things where we have there there are there's an alien visitor and really? whatnot. Yeah, it's and the show is just so topical and deals with the environment and deals with you know how to treat people properly and it's just I'm just again it's like like Little Mosque. I'm so very happy to be a part of this show. So proud to be a part of it. So, Sounds like a game changer. Yeah, very much so. Very I don't think television hasn't seen anything quite like it yet. So I'm very excited. About oh, I look that. forward to that. I'll definitely watch. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of the last thing I wanted to ask you about, I know that you were cast in Hairspray where you like cop number three or something. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So did they cut your scene? They did. Cause I watched, I didn't see you. I know. I know. I made it into the credits. I guess I, I technically they have to put me in the credits. Uh, but yeah, I had this, I had a great little scene with, uh, with John Travolta. Uh, and John in, in drag too, you know, and, uh, and it's great seeing with him and talking to his character. And, uh, unfortunately, as sometimes happens, you know, you end up on the editing room floor. Um, but the great thing was, I mean, I got to spend uh, the whole evening on set with, with John and, you know, he, he and I were blocking the scene and working it out for hours. And, uh, he's just the greatest guy, you know, one of those people that you end up talking to him and before long, he's asking you about your children and talking about his kids and his family. And, it was so funny because I, I remember we were sitting there talking about our kids and I realized I'm talking to John Travolta. A, he's huge. He's like, he's a big man. He's like over six feet tall. Um, and he was, he was completely in drag, right? So talking to him. <laughs> and that was, I wish I had a picture of the two of us standing side by side. It would have been so great. But he was a lovely guy. Yeah, nothing, nothing but good things to say about him. Nice. Well, Neil, this has been an absolute pleasure learning about what's happened since, you know, your experience with semicolon and just so much has really happened when you think back and take well, the yeah. moment. Life is, uh, life continues to, to go on. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that I could be uh, your first guest on this wonderful too. show. And I, I wish too. you, I wish you years of success <laughs> on this. Thank you. It's a great idea. Well, there's no one I'd rather talk 
you know, bums and farts with the meal crumb. <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again. And thanks to all our listeners today. Remember, interested minds make for interesting people. Until next week, this is Heather Down reminding you to stay curious because sometimes the real story begins after the book ends. If you enjoyed this episode of After the Book Ends, please consider subscribing to the podcast or connecting online at After the Book Ends.